If you were with us last week, we kicked off a new series called Jesus Said What? And we're looking at some of the, the really bold and radical and, and obscure things that Jesus said during his time on this earth. And I imagine if you and I were out walking with Jesus, if we were out listening to Jesus teach, there would be those times where Jesus would say something and we would nod our head along. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Say it again. But then there would be those times where Jesus would make a comment. He'd say something that would cause us to look at each other and say, did he, did he just say that? Did he really say what I thought he said? You know, there was a time that Jesus was talking to the crowd and he, he was saying that if you're hungry... And if you're thirsty, the only way you'll ever actually feel full is if you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Huh? It's What did he say? Or there's another time when Jesus said, you actually can't truly love God unless you hate your mother and your father. Hold on, Jesus. I agree with everything you said until this point. What does that even mean? And see, I think Jesus, he does this for a reason. When Jesus says something that's radical or bold or obscure like that, he's trying to draw us into a deeper conversation. He's trying to draw us into something that takes us further, that teaches us the truth about life. And I think it's really good for us in those moments to lean in and listen. There's one day Jesus and his disciples were out walking around and this conversation started between the disciples, his followers, and they started to talk about who was going to be the greatest. And so they're going back and forth, and I imagine it's like some middle school kids talking about who hit the biggest home run over the weekend, and who's going to be the starting quarterback when they get to high school, or who scored the most on the math test, or what college they're going to go to. And so they're having this conversation, and in this kind of interesting time, Jesus stops them, and he says something that I just can't imagine. I think every one of them would have just stopped in their tracks and said, what did you say? Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 18, verses 8 and 9. Just on the heels of them talking about who's going to be the greatest, Jesus says this. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. Huh. Interesting, Jesus. What does that even mean? But he didn't stop. He continued. He said, and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Now, if you're one of the guys walking with Jesus that day, you had to wonder, wow, okay, Jesus, that's pretty extreme. We were just joking about who's going to be the greatest. (laughs) You took it pretty far. But Jesus did it for a reason. And it's written here for us for a reason. Because there's a truth, a deep truth, that Jesus wants us to press in on here. And that is this, that he wants to get our attention to see the power and the destructiveness of temptation and sin. I was reading an article this week in the Scientific American Journal, and it was, it was looking at um, a number of studies done uh, to, to find a correlation between guilt and shame and some of the challenges we experience in life. And so there was a study done by George Mason University, and they looked at 22,000 different subject, and they, subjects, and they took 108 different studies, and they compiled them together to determine that people that are prone to experience shame in their life, they actually coined the term shame proneness, people who are prone to experience shame in their life typically fall into seasons of depression and anxiety. There was another study done by Baylor University, and it, it found that, that for those who are, are again, shame-prone, they, they fall into general 
anxiety disorders and often struggle with social anxiety disorder. So simply put, you see this deep connection between mental health, shame, and guilt. And if we think about what shame and guilt do and how shame and guilt deliver these nasty consequences, we have to to wonder, where does shame and guilt come from? I think we could come up with a lot of answers to where shame and guilt come from, but I, I think we know that shame and guilt are often the consequences of sin and temptation. Now, sin and temptation, it's not a fun topic it's much more fun to come in here and tell a story about Jesus turning water into wine, water into wine or feeding the 5,000. But Jesus gives us these difficult sayings for a reason. Because he's wanting to teach us something about ourselves and to teach us a truth for life. Something that actually has the power to change our lives. And so when Jesus talks about sin and temptation and he talks about punishment and consequences, often we want to just kind of brush over that and not listen or we say, I, I, okay, I kind of got it. Or, or we say, I really can't understand that right now, and we move past. But I think we do ourselves a, a disservice when we don't lean in and actually hear what Jesus has to say because it's always deeper than we think it is. And I imagine if I went around the room right now and I asked each of you, what is the biggest challenge that you face? What, what is the biggest hurdle that you're seeing in life? What is the thing that maybe is wearing you down or treading on your soul or really bothering you right now, and you might say it could be a number of things. It could be insecurities. It could be discouragement. It could be fear of failure. It could be a difficult relationship. It could be uh, one of a, a number of things. But I would say at the core of that, there is something that is a, a result of sin and temptation in our lives. And you can trace the rabbit hole to find what that thing is, but ultimately that sin and temptation in our life lead to ugly, nasty consequences which play itself out into our relationships and to the way we actually live our life. So what Jesus says today actually has a a lot of importance for us because some of us in this room right now are walking through a season where, let's be honest, it's really hard. And sin and and temptation may be really beating us up. And, And we're living in this good day, bad day kind of world where we're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. We're waiting for that angry outburst again. We're waiting, waiting for that bad financial decision again. We're waiting for us to say that hurtful thing again. And then every time we do, we fall into this cycle of guilt and shame and pain and nasty consequences. For others, you, you may be at a place where you've just kind of given up. That sin and temptation that just keeps coming around and keeps struggling with, you just kind of just accepted it. That's just who you are now, and I'm just going to roll with it. And it leads you back into this place where you're just carrying this weight around you were never meant to carry. And then for some of us, we've just kind of glossed over sin. We've just kind of stopped paying attention. We've been a little desensitized to it. Those scenes in the movies, they don't really spark us and make us fast forward anymore. We, We find that we're saying things that we've never said before. And we've just kind of let sin slide. So what Jesus says here, no matter where we are on the pendulum... What Jesus says here makes a huge difference to every one of our lives. No matter how young, how old, no matter what season of life we're in, what Jesus says here actually has the power to change our lives. Because what Jesus shows us here is God's view of sin and temptation, and he gives us the battle plan for how we overcome and have victory over sin and temptation. But I don't know about you, but that's something I want for my life day in and day out. So let's take a few minutes and just kind of dig through this passage. It's really interesting what Jesus has to say. And we'll see how he tells us it can impact and change our lives. So if you have your Bibles, let's grab those. Matthew 18, verses 1 through 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we've got one in the lobby for you. 
but we'll also put the words on the screen. Let's look here. Matthew chapter 18, starting verse 1. And at this time, the disciples came to Jesus, and they said, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a, a child, he, to, he, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it will be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Verse 7. Jesus says, Woe to the world for temptation to sin. For it is necessary that temptation come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Forefront, this is a tough passage. But forefront, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. We thank you for really hard texts like this that are very easy for us to read and gloss over because they pinch us and they sting us and they hurt. And, and, and they're bigger than we can even imagine. And, and so, Lord, help us to not do that today. Help us to not glaze over our eyes at a text that we've heard before or one that we just don't understand or agree with. But help us to actually open up our eyes and our hearts to hear what you have to say to us this morning. Father, we come to you today in the midst of, uh, of a chaotic world around us where we continue to see um, more and more people hurt. Father, we pray for the families in Indianapolis that lost loved ones after another senseless shooting. Lord, our world is broken, and it's broken because of sin, and it's broken because of temptation. And so, Father, what you have to say today makes such a difference in our lives. So, Father, be with those families in Indianapolis, be with the families all over the country that are, have lost loved ones because of these senseless acts. And, Lord, we ask you to move in our country, to move in our world, to move in our hearts, to help us to put our eyes on you and not on our circumstances or our situations. Father, it was a tough week here at the church and with our church family. Father, we pray for Sandy Bornheft and her family as her daughter Michelle passed away. Lord, we ask that you just give them a peace and a comfort that only you can give. We pray for Sandy and, and her family, Lord, that you wrap your arms around them during this difficult time and give them exactly what they need for today and exactly what they need for tomorrow. Father, we pray for the Callenbrook family. We pray for Michael and Karen and Zoe and Micah as Karen's brother, Craig, passed away this week. And Lord, I, I can't imagine the heartbreak that these families are feeling and experiencing right now. And I know that uh, Zoe and Micah were so close to their uncle. And so I just pray for peace and encouragement for this family, for you to knit their hearts together during this tough time and to rely on you for strength. So Father, we pray that you be with the Callenbrooks. Father, we pray for Darren, Entz, and Karina and their family as Darren's grandpa passed away this week. And they're back in Kansas at his memorial this weekend. I pray, Lord, that you just give them uh, a comfort to know that he is now with you, that he is in heaven with you, and he is in a place with no more pain and no more suffering and, and no more tears. And, and uh, Lord, they will see him again. Uh, Father, we pray for Gene Shirley and his family this week. And, and Lord, it's just a difficult week. 
Uh, Lord, we love you, and uh, we just know that you're here to give us comfort. So as a church, help us to unite together to pray for one another, as Rob said earlier. And Father, uh, stir our hearts and our affections for you and what you're doing in our lives. And we ask, Lord, as we leave today, we look more like Jesus than when we came. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. And everybody agreed, said, amen, amen. So this text here in Matthew chapter 18 might sound familiar to you. You may look at this text and say, I feel like I've heard that before, but it seems backwards. Well, that's because this is actually the second time Jesus has said something like this. If you have your Bibles, flip to Matthew 5. We'll put the words on the screen. In Matthew 5, Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about how we live out the kingdom life. And he says something just like this. Notice what he says, Matthew 5. He says this. It's, it's backwards, but he says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body being thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Ouch, again. Like, wow, Jesus, this is extreme. Twice he says this now. So what's he talking about? He's talking about temptation and how temptation can lead us into sin. And so we need to take drastic measures. And, and, and in Matthew chapter 5, he's, he's talking specifically about lust. How lust can lead us into adultery. How lust can lead us into pornography. How lust can lead us into places that we do not want to go. So get rid of it. Get away from it. Cut it off. Tear it out. In Matthew 18, he's actually talking about pride. On the heels of these guys talking about who's the greatest, he's saying, look, when you are prideful, when pride sneaks in, you have a habit of overlooking God's people pushing them to the side because they don't matter because you are on your journey to the top. Both sins need to be dealt with because both sins lead to nasty consequences. Both sins lead to places that we don't ever want to go. And so Jesus is, is really challenging us here to think about sin from his perspective. But it's really easy for us to look over this and kind of move quickly. Especially if you've been in the church a while, you've heard this taught before, you've maybe been through a Bible study in the book of Matthew, or you've heard some sermons on it, and you say, yeah, Jesus, I get it, sin's bad, stay away from it. And, and I think it's really easy to kind of put this formulaic approach in, well, I just, you know, I just stay away from sin, you know, don't get too close, don't rub too close elbows, stay on the other side of the road, and I'll be fine. But I think when we take this surface level approach to sin, that's, I'm just going to stay away from it, we're missing what Jesus is saying. Because sin is so much deeper than something we can just kind of stay away from. Because in this broken world we live in, sin is entrenched all around us. And so Jesus is saying we need to be on the lookout because sin is such a big deal. So what's Jesus really getting at here when he says, cut it off, chop it off, tear it out? What is he getting at? He's trying to show us that sin left alone is destructive. And sin, if you don't kill it, Sin will kill you. It's really interesting where Jesus brings this up, though. On the heels of these guys talking about who's greatest and this kind of prideful discussion, Jesus brings this in. But there's a reason he does it. If you notice, back in chapter 18, Jesus brings a child over to them. And so he's saying, who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus brings this child over, and he says, I'll tell you, the greatest, you've got to be like one of these little ones. And he brings this child over and he says to them that really in God's kingdom, that the way to God's kingdom, living in God's kingdom, isn't trying to be great, but trying to be, have a childlike faith, having a trust like a child does. 
trusting in God's greatness and not your own. And, and notice what he does. He, he takes that kind of picture and that image, and then look what he does in verses 5 and 6. He says this. He says, whoever receives one of these chi- one, a child, one of these little ones, receives me. And then notice, notice this, this really tough saying that he says next. He says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it's actually better for them to have a great millstone fastened around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Wow. Again, extreme, intense. Jesus, what are you trying to say? Well, I think he's showing us that God cares so much about his people that he'll go to any length to protect them. See, when Jesus talks about the little one, he's not necessarily talking about just that child, although we can imply that he's talking about children. But he's talking about his children. Jesus is talking about God's children, I should say. He's talking about you and me. He's talking about anybody that's ever put their faith in Jesus Christ as a son or a daughter of God, and they are now a little one. And Jesus is saying that God wants to protect his little ones from sin. So those who are leading his little ones into sin and temptation, it's actually better if they would have a millstone tied around their neck. Man, that's hard for us to get our minds wrapped around. But Jesus is showing us God's love towards his people. That God wants to protect his people. And God uses a picture we'll understand. Because if you're a parent, or you're a grandparent, or an aunt, or an uncle, or a teacher, you understand the love you have for your family members. I remember as a kid, my grandma babysat us. My grandma, her name's Margaret Tarwater. She's 91. And she babysat us pretty much her whole life. The most gentle, sweet lady you could ever meet most godly woman you could ever meet, just full of grace and full of love and kind words. But I remember one time she was talking, she was talking about um, how she would protect her family. And so here we are. I'm a little kid. My sister's a little kid. We've got our cousins around. And she says, just so you guys know, if anybody ever breaks in here and tries to hurt you, I've got a shotgun in the other room, and I'm not afraid to use it. <laughs> and I'm like, dang, Grandma, okay. Like, Grandma's not playing around. But I saw something in the most godly, amazing, gentle woman ever that you don't mess around with her family. And I remember standing out to me like, okay, don't mess with grandma. Like, she didn't play. But I think the same thing now, too. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, you know it's true. You can mess with me. You can say something hurtful to me. You can come after me. But if you come after my kids, I'm going to go all Liam Neeson on you, right? I've got a unique set of skills, and I'm going to use them. There's something protective in us that God has wired us when it comes to caring for our kids and our loved ones and our family members and our friends. And God feels that same way about you. And so God says, if somebody's leading you into temptation to sin, it's actually better for them to actually lose their life now than the punishment that awaits them. It's heavy and it's intense, but God is saying that he cares so much about us. He wants to protect us and lead us into holiness and that he judges sin. Now, a millstone, I don't, I don't know if you guys have ever seen a millstone. Here's a picture of one. Millstone was used in those days to, to crush grain. And so you would actually have one millstone on the bottom. You'd have another millstone that rolled through ridges, and it would be pulled by donkeys or, or, or some kind of an animal, an ox, and it would actually crush the grain. And it was about 3,300 pounds. These things were, you know, a ton and a half. And so notice the picture. Jesus is saying it's actually better for you to have that hanging around your neck and go into the sea then the punishment that's going to await you if you lead people into sin. See, Jesus is showing us that he takes your holiness seriously. 
So I think what, what, what he's saying here is that God wants us to fight for holiness. And, and not, just, um, not just in my life, but I, he wants us to fight for each other. That God wants us to one another one another and to fight for our holiness. But it starts with me here. If I'm going to fight for your holiness, then I have to begin by first fighting for my own. And that's where Jesus gives us the, the crazy saying about cutting off our hand and our foot and our eye in verses 7 through 9. Notice what he says. He says, so, verse 8, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Another extreme example, but Jesus is saying here that it's actually better for you to not have a hand or a foot or an eye than to experience the punishment that comes from sin. And I think Jesus is trying to teach us something about ourselves. But at first glance, this is a really hard text. At first glance, this is really difficult because Jesus is talking about hellfire He's talking about eternal judgment. He's talking about all those things. And I don't know about you, but I know if we look around in our culture, that's just a hard topic to, to discuss. You know, one, one of the biggest questions that we have as, as humans, I think, is that battling that question. How does a good, loving God punish people? You ever asked that question before? You ever had somebody ask you that question? How can a loving God send somebody to hell? It's a hard question. And there, it's, it's, it's a hard answer. And I think we read a text like this, and Jesus is talking about hellfire, and he's talking about eternal judgment, and it, it really kind of pulls at our heartstrings because we, we don't have answers that we like. And because of that, because it's hard to come up with a good answer, a lot of people have walked away from Jesus. A lot of people have walked away from the church. A lot of people have, have just kind of given up on the idea of, of following Jesus because they can't answer that question. How do you answer that question? How does a good, loving God send people to hell. Now, could it be that the reason we struggle with this question so much is that we really don't understand real love? Could it be the reason that we don't really understand this answer is because we don't understand God's heart towards you and towards me? Because anytime there's real love, there's the other side of the coin. There's, there's real anger when something wrong is done to the one you love. Like my grandma talking about grabbing the shotgun Anytime you love somebody and you see that person is mistreated or hurt or, 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 or treated unfairly, anytime you see in, innocent people hurt, anytime you see orphans not cared for, anytime you see people have injustice done against them, they're, they're, it's okay for us to have a righteous anger against that thing because God does. And God knows that sin destroys and kills. And so God hates sin. God hates sin so much. But he loves you so much. And so he decides he has to punish sin. That he can't let sin stand. God, like my grandma, is ready to protect his family. This is what God does. You know, it's interesting. If you read Psalm 145, um, this is what David writes. He says that the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Praise God for that, amen. Listen to verse 20. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. See, God hates sin. He knows that sin destroys, and so God decides, he, I have to destroy sin. That's what God does. That's God's heart. And it's not because God doesn't love you. It's because God loves you that he sent Jesus here to take the punishment of our sin. 
so we can actually have freedom from our sin and from our temptation. And so right here in Matthew 18, it's hard of a text as this is, Jesus is showing us that God takes sin seriously and that we need to make the choice to do the same thing. We need to make the choice to view sin as seriously as God sees it. So if you have to kind of sum up some of what Jesus is saying, it's this, that sin is not a casual matter. That we can't look at sin as this casual thing because sin is what nailed Jesus to the cross. Sin isn't casual. Sin is destructive and it's dangerous and it kills. A few years ago, I was, uh, was going to go on a trip and it was for work. And so I was trying to find a really cheap ticket. And so I got online, I got onto Expedia and I found one of those discount airlines. And I thought, wow, this ticket's like half the price of the normal ticket from all the big guys. So I bought it. You guys ever done this before? So you buy the ticket and then you go to check in and what do they have you do? Seat fee, right? Bag fee. You have to pay an oxygen fee so you can breathe on the plane, right? There's all these fees that are added, right? By the time you get on the plane, you get to where you're going. It's $100 more than the regular ticket was. See, sometimes if it seems too good to be true, it typically is. And that's what sin does to us. Sin lies to you. Temptation lies to you. And it says, it's going to be good. It's going to feel good. It's what you need. It's what's going to make you feel full. It's going to, what's, what's going to help you to live life that you know you want to live. But sin can't keep that promise. It's a bait and switch every single time. See, sin always has consequences. And, and sometimes that consequence is feeling guilt and shame. Another time that consequence is just me uh, destroying something in my future or destroying a relationship. But no matter what sin does, sin never just impacts you. Sin never just impacts you. Sin always has a consequence that spills over into somebody else's life. I mean, you know this is true. You just think back to your life and your relationships or people around you. How many times have you seen relationships ruined because one person's temptation led them to sin and now the family is destroyed and the kids don't have a mom or dad at home? How many times have you seen a, a business go up in flames because the owner fell into temptation to start skimming money or to start treating their employees like crud? Or to, to, to do things they shouldn't say. How many times have you seen relationships ruined because somebody says something that's not true or there's a gossip that spreads and all of a sudden people are hurt and friendships are broken? Let's get personal for a moment. How many times does staying up too late at night watching something you shouldn't be watching cause you to treat your family wrong or differently the next day? How many times does you saying something to somebody else that you knew was hurtful cause you to carry that guilt around, which leads you to say something hurtful to your spouse or to your kids the next day. Sin always has consequences, and sin doesn't just impact you. So Jesus is trying to help, help us see here that sin is so destructive and so evil that we have to cut it off and get rid of it because we can't stand next to it. Otherwise, it'll tempt us and pull us away and lead us to hurting ourselves and someone else. And so Jesus says, don't treat sin lightly. See sin for what it is. Charles Spurgeon says that you, too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of the Savior. Let that sink in for a second. Sin is so heavy, Jesus went to the cross to carry it for us. 
Sin isn't something that we can just carry around lightly. Your sin never impacts you alone. So Jesus says, don't treat it casually. Instead, attack it. Cut it off. Tear it out. Get rid of it. Throw it away. Get it out of your life. Paul says in Romans 12 that we should hate what is evil and cling to what is good. He says in 2 Timothy 2.22 that we should flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And Jesus says when your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. When your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. And when your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Because that's the only way you can truly fight sin and temptation in your life. A few years ago, a movie came out um, with James Franco. I don't know if you ever saw it, but it was telling the story about Aaron Ralston. It was called 127 Hours. And in 2003, some of you may know the story, Aaron Ralston went hiking in Utah. He went climbing and, uh, down a narrow chute down in Blue John Canyon, and he got his uh, a boulder moved, and he got his arm pinned behind the boulder. For five and a half days, he sat there trying to break himself free. Five and a half days. I get bored after like three and a half minutes. Five and a half days, he sat there. And finally, he realized that he was going to die. He, no food, no water. He was going to die unless he did something drastic. You guys know what he did? Cut his arm off. Cut his hand off so he could break free and saved his life. He made the unthinkable choice, but he saw the consequences of what was coming. And Jesus says, guys, when you see the consequences of sin and temptation in your life, you'll see that the only way to really live the life you're made to, meant to live, and the only way you can avoid the dam- damage and consequences of sin and, and temptation is to cut it off. It hurts. It's nasty. But it's what we need to do. You know, one of the challenges that I face, I don't know about, I don't know about you guys, if you guys face this, but you, you ever just kind of find yourself in a moment where you're asking God, God, why, why do I still struggle with this thing? Anybody been there before? You know, God, how come this, this sin that I feel like I've beaten and had victory over comes back? Or, or God, wh- wh- why do you allow this to come into our lives? And sometimes we wonder, like, God, why aren't you in control of this? Like, why don't you just take this away from me? But I think there's a, there's a, a, a realization, a reminder that Jesus is trying to give us here. And, and he's trying to say this. He's trying to say that God is always in control, but he doesn't always take control. God is always control. God is in heaven on his throne, but God gives you the power to take control. You know, God's going to let you sit at home and eat as many bags of Doritos as you want to eat. And you're going to feel really terrible about it afterwards. But he's not going to pull those Doritos out of your hand. God's not going to stop you from watching six hours of breaking news on CNN and Fox News every night. God's not going to stop you from watching those shows that you know you shouldn't be watching after everybody else goes to bed. God is going to let you watch as much as you want, eat as much as you want. God's going to let you read as little of your Bible as you want. God is always in control, but he doesn't always take control. And I think for a lot of us, we want this remote control God. That God just says, okay, God, just push the button. Just change the channel for me, God. But Jesus is telling us here that God doesn't change the channel for you. But God gives you the, cha- the power to change the channel yourself. And when it comes to sin and temptation, God is telling us just to turn off the TV, just to turn it completely off and to get that out of the way. 
So Jesus is saying it to us. We need to recognize what sin is, that it's a killer, and we've got to stop dancing near the edge and rubbing shoulders with it, but we need to cut it out and get rid of it for our own good, for our own holiness, and for the holiness of you and your brothers and your sisters in your life. There's a great quote by Oswald Chambers. He says this. He says that we have to recognize that sin is a fact, not a defect. Sin is red-handed mutiny against God. Either God or sin must die in my life. If sin rules in me, God's life in me will be killed. But if God rules in me, sin in me will be killed. Or as the Puritan John Owen says, be killing sin or it'll be killing you. It's a reality. So are you killing sin or sin killing you? Because it's one or the other. So forefront, as we kind of wrap our time up here, I I just want to say we have a choice to make. See, the the world has always given us promises. Sin promises you something it can't deliver on. Sin promises that it's going to give you something that's going to make you feel good, it's going to make you feel full, but it can't deliver. But on the other hand, God promises you something in Jesus Christ that delivers every time. Life and life abundantly. Jesus says, my promises are so much bigger. So which promise are you going to believe? I want to close with a story. A couple of years ago, I got a call from, from Courtney, and it was that my brother-in-law's brother-in-law, track with me, brother-in-law's brother-in-law, had just gotten attacked by a mountain lion in Fort Collins. You guys remember this story? A couple of years ago, there was a a, a jogger and running a trail in, Saint, in Fort Collins and he was attacked by a mountain lion? Yeah, it's my brother-in-law's brother-in-law. And he, he says that he was out running and he heard a rustle in the, in the leaves and he looked back and there was a mountain lion chasing after him. Now, put yourself in that moment. So he looks back and he, he, he stands up and he, he, he's got a coat on, so he picks his coat up and he gets real big and tries to scare it. But that didn't stop the mountain lion so it jumped at him and grabbed a hold of his wrist and he wrestled it and tried to hit it with a rock and that didn't work and so he gets down on the ground and he wraps a leg and an arm around it he pins it down until it stops breathing a few months later my sister-in-law and brother-in-law were getting married I'm at the buffet line sitting there getting some food and I look over and it's it's my it's the guy he's got couple scars he's got scabs on his face and cut and you can tell it, it was a fight so I had that conversation with him and he, he just he said it was life or death in that moment the Bible tells us the devil is like a prowling lion seeking to devour that 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 sin he's bringing sin and temptation into our lives. And in this world, it's broken and it's all around us and it's trying to devour us. And so so if we're going to fight sin, if we're going to win against sin and temptation, then we have to be ready for the fight. It's going to hurt. And we're going to be bruised and have scars and have cuts and scabs. But according to Jesus, the fight is absolutely worth it. Because it's that fight that Jesus went to the cross for us and freed us from sin. And when we fight sin, when we cut it off, we tear it out, Jesus gives us freedom and power that we can have victory over that sin again and again and again. So as we close, I just want to ask you, what temptations are you allowing to hang around? 
What sins are you struggling with that you're allowing just to kind of stay at your doorstep? Because Jesus has cut it off. Tear it out. Don't play around with sin because you're either killing sin or sin is killing you. So this week, as we go through our our life, as we get back into the regular flow of things, Jesus wants us to keep our eyes up, to watch out for that prowling lion or that mountain lion that's coming after us of sin and temptation and be ready to fight. And when we see it, get rid of it and cut it out right then. So whose promise are you going to believe? The promise of the world or the promise of Jesus? Because I'm going with the guy that rose from the dead. Let's pray together.